Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Fort McMurray Matters. Keeping you connected to our community. Brought to you by Colin Hartigan of Coldwell Banker Fort McMurray, Cooper & Company Law Firm, and Fort McMurray Orthodontics on Mix 103.7. Welcome to another episode of Fort McMurray Matters. I'm Adam Ophis, and today we're chatting with Dave Stearman from Controlled Chaos. So just to kick us off here, Dave, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, my name's Dave. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, I am a musher, I'm a handler, uh, and I'm on the board of Controlled Chaos. All right, and then we'll, yeah, we'll move right into it as well. If you can explain, like, in case people in the Fort McMurray area have no idea what that is, what is Controlled Chaos? Yeah, so um, Controlled Chaos is a group of dog mushers uh, that's been in the community for about 20, 25 years. Uh, we are a nonprofit. And the way we operate is we operate in three pillars. So we operate in rescue, we operate in tours, and we operate in races. So depending on the time of the year, depending on the situation, any one of those things can be sort of more on the front of what we're doing, uh, you know, than the other. But typically, it's definitely a multifaceted operation, and, and we're definitely um, just evolving in, in everything that we do. So, yeah. Uh, so how does uh, uh, a group like this get started? Like how, how, do you, how do you get going here? How do you stay operating as well? Yeah, like I had mentioned, about 20 years ago, a gentleman by the name of Randy McKenzie, who owns and operates McKenzie Boarding Kennels, uh, kind of had this passion, this interest that he had carried over from where he was living previously. Um, and he loved dogs, you know, and he still loves dogs. Uh, so Randy's actually our president, like I said, and... Um, he originally began the kennel with a set of racing dogs uh, that were in sprint. So sprint racing is a lot different than mid-distance or long distance. So the races that we typically compete in are 200 to 400 miles versus uh, sprint racing, which is anywhere from 20 to you know 80 miles or something you know in that in that range, right? Um, so over time. Uh, that you know, sprint racing style just wasn't really um, it wasn't fulfilling to Randy, and so he shifted into mid distance. And then again, over time, uh, some people joined him to collaborate and, and work, and and you know, because they were interested in mushing. And that, in a nutshell, is kind of really how we got to the point we're at. Like you know, there's been a lot of folks that have um, come and come in, and you know, have been here for again ten plus years. So. Right now, uh, Control Chaos consists of about four dedicated full-time mushers, um, one of which is, you know, a local veterinarian who owns her own clinic, uh, who's also competing in the Canadian Challenge, which is Jessica Fielding. Uh, there's myself, of course. We have Greg Mercero, who's our driver. We have Randy, and um, we have a plethora of volunteers that come and assist us to do the things that we do, such as walk dogs that are sort of retired, that aren't running. Uh, we also have people that are just dedicated to coming and picking up poop because, of course, that's a huge <laughs> thing, too. So it's definitely a, an operation that is, like I said, multifaceted. And, and um, we try and make things really 
engaging, entertaining. Obviously, it's not just, we can't have it just be all work. It has to be a lot of play. And that's really where our foundations were. Is it's like, this was a hobby. How do we make this hobby um, sustainable? But also, how do we bring it to the community? Because again, it is something that living in Fort McMurray or any Northern community, like it's a part of our mission statement. Like, how do we connect this with um, the residents of Fort McMurray? Okay, and you mentioned uh, the the different races. Now, I didn't even realize. I thought a dog sled race was a dog sled race. Like, there wasn't different types. And you mentioned sprint races and sprint dogs. So I couldn't just uh, be like, hey, I want to sign up. I, I got uh, I got a dozen golden retrievers. They're ready to pull. That wouldn't be wise? I, I wouldn't be able to really compete or what? Yeah, you need a high-drive dog. I mean, um, the dogs that we run in are, are Alaskan Huskies. So Alaskan Huskies have been... Um, they're a breed of dog that have been essentially created by humans uh, living in northern communities for probably the last two centuries. And they, and they started off, um, you know, with your traditional Siberian and, you know, Alaskan Malamute breed. And then as mushers sort of evolved their practice, they started breeding dogs that, you know, they wanted qualities, certain qualities in a dog. So, you know, bigger paws, longer fur, shorter fur, smaller paws, things like this, like a lot of those attributes are, uh, pertain to the geography in which the musher is running or the intent for which they're they're looking to um to uh, mush and so to answer your question you could if you wanted to you could train a dog to do anything it might not be the most successful at the job because you know maybe a retriever wants to uh, retrieve but um alaskan husky alaskan huskies certainly want to run and they want to run long distance right they want to run you know anywhere from 60 to 80 miles a day and, and they can run up to about 140 in a 24 hour period so it's certainly when you get into uh the dog world but also into mushing it's you know you're you're trying to find those qualities uh to help you thrive but also in our case um Sometimes we don't ask, sometimes we rescue. And so we, we do get dogs that are coming from all different sorts of places and positions and breeds. And so uh, we kind of have to work within those confines because, of course, the first thing that comes first is the dog's, uh, the dog's needs. And, and for these races as well, I would imagine there's um, kind of a set of guidelines or rules or could, if somebody, for whatever reason, wanted to bring different breeds of dogs, could they compete in any of these races with different breeds or does it have to be a specific breed? No, you could compete. Like there's, there's folks who have competed with border collies. Uh, there's folks who have competed with just a whole team of Siberian Huskies. Like really it's, it's, if you can sustain it and it becomes um, like a, if at any point the practice becomes detrimental to the canine's health, then that's when they call it quits. That's when they're like, you know, this is not going to be something that you can do. Um, and so nine times out of 10, like if you if you wanted to run, you know, a long distance race with a burner, a Bernese mountain dog, I mean, all the power to you. But at the end of the day, that dog is just not going to be able to do that mileage. Right. And so um, it's it's really sort of a hobby out of practicality. Like you have to kind of look at it from what's going to be detrimental to the, the dog's health um, long term. And so unfortunately for a lot of breeds, um, doing the work that these dogs do can become very detrimental to their health. And that's why it's important that you have to kind of know that going into it, like you have to have the right dog to do the right job. Like I'm not gonna ask my my lab to herd because he's not a herder, you know, I would get my border collie. So 
In short, yeah, like, you know, there are teams out there who have done crazy things. Uh, certainly in the sprint world where it's a shorter distance, you're going to see a lot of diversity in the, in the type of dog that's that's doing it. Especially when you start talking about things like we, we've hosted our learning to pull clinics and we have people come out with all sorts of different types of dogs that are just doing recreational ski joring mushing, like teaching your dog to pull. Um, super awesome and it's really cool to sort of get a kick sled or to get your dog on a, like you on a pair of skis and then pull you but to do like competitions and things like that that's when you start having to evolve your practice as well we're just going to take our first break here in Fort McMurray Matters but when we come back we're going to keep on chatting with uh, Dave Stearman with Controlled Chaos to talk about dog sledding and and everything that they do We'll return in a moment to Fort McMurray Matters. Brought to you by Colin Hartigan of Coldwell Banker Fort McMurray, Cooper & Company Law Firm, and Fort McMurray Orthodontics on Mix 103.7. Welcome back to Fort McMurray Matters. If you're just tuning in, we're chatting with Dave Stearman from Controlled Chaos, which is the dog sledding here in the area, and they are a nonprofit group. So um, if you want to help them out, there's always great ways to do that. And chatting with you earlier, Dave, about just hearing the way you talk, it definitely seems like most people who get into into dog sledding are dog lovers first, and then the sport of sledding second. Like, it almost seems like, what is something I can do outdoors, and I want to do it with these animals that I love? Like, is that correct? Like, that's what it seems like. Yeah, you definitely won't see, um, like, 90% of our Controlled Chaos members wanting to do interviews. <laughs> We're all strictly, um, I, wanna, I don't want to say introverted, but our focus is definitely not on being the public eye. And that's actually why, like, maybe, like, we've been in the community for so long. But um, my background, personally, isn't, like, it's not in mushing. It's, it's actually in community development. So um, my story into Controlled Chaos was actually really to not only get into mushing because I had like this really deep rooted interest in it, but also because I felt like there was something there that they weren't, um, that they kind of lacked. Like it was like, Hey, like we could definitely bring this to the community. Like I have no problems doing interviews. I have no problems doing public engagement and, and really, um, bringing a lot of those tacit skills, especially like, you know, Randy's been in the game. Like he's, he's been in this industry, not just mushing, but in in the um, animal care industry for well over, I would say 40 years. So, there's a well of tacit skills that people just don't know. And especially like when it comes to wildlife, it's like, who are you going to call? Oh, there's this guy that knows, you know, how to take care of baby birds and and all these like other random things that isn't a vet, but is connected into that, that world. So yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. That does. And, and okay. So, so you're a musher, you've got your own team and does each person have their own team? Do they, okay. You are watching the dogs this week. So you, you take all the dogs home to your your house, and you're like, oh, I'm only in a condo. I hope my landlord's okay with this. Like, Or where do the team of dogs go? So there's, like I said, there's about four of us. Um, so the last few years have been quite unique. Um, we've had a few mushers that have just, like, stepped away for personal reasons and then have come back. Like, you know, this year, like I said, we had Jessica and Randy who are running the Canadian Challenge. Jessica's actually running a team of dogs that I've been training for the last two years. Um, we don't often have litters at our kennel. Like it's, I, we've only had one since I've been there. Uh, but we're really excited this year because there's going to be some yearlings that are going to be participating in this race that we're, that we're getting into, uh, in the next week. And those dogs are going to be there, you know, like they're, they're going to be working. And so that's also a huge thing too, is you don't want to sour dogs. Like you don't want to make them, um, you don't want to make that experience really not enjoyable for them. So uh, to answer the question, 
our teams definitely uh, the type, like not the types of dogs, but the particular dogs that we run, we switch it up and it's purely based on our own skill as mushers. It's purely based on um, like if I'm, I'm a bigger guy, like I'm 250 pounds. So Jessica's, you know, probably in a range of like, I don't know what I want to say, but like, you know, above 100, but below 200 maybe. Yes, and it's like, definitely lighter than you are. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you're kind of looking at it like, okay, so if the dogs start off pulling my weight, which is obviously a lot bigger and they switch to somebody who's a lot, you know, lighter, well, then the power is going to be increased. Their, their stamina is going to be increased. Their strength is going to be increased because they're trained with me, but now they're pulling somebody who's lighter that increases your odds as a musher. Um, you know, it's kind of cool because Jess is a vet. Like she's somebody that is that we rely upon heavily, who's also really deeply passionate about um, what we do. And so, originally, she was actually going to be Randy's handler in this race, which is the person that assists you uh, while you're on the trail, taking care of the dogs. If you, especially if you have a dog that sustains any kind of injury, things like that. Um, so while I was training, she was like, "Hey, like, do you want to run this race?" Because there's two separate races kind of at this one event. And I was like, mm, no, I don't think I do. Cause that's terrifying to me. <laughs> She's like, do you mind if I run this race? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Like nothing would make me more honored to see the dogs that I've trained go to, you know, go to Saskatchewan and, and do their thing. And so, um, over the last about two months, Jess has ta completely taken over that team. She's done all the work. She's, you know, 100% been there for them. And, um, my role, has been pivoted like again in the COVID era the common word i've pivoted to uh, more of a handler role and just supporting randy and jess in the training that they're doing and you mentioned this race a few times uh, heading to saskatchewan so first of all uh when is this race and uh, what is this race so the canadian challenge is a race that uh several mushers from fort mcmurray uh have competed in over the years um and it's our flagship race that we attend nearly every year, especially when it's, when it is running, like obviously COVID, it hasn't run in, I think two years. So the race starts on uh, February 22nd uh, is the 10 dog race, which Randy will be competing, competing in. And Jessica will be competing in the eight dog race, which starts on the 24th. So it's a 200 mile race for Randy. It's a 100 mile race for Jessica and the 200 mile race should roughly take around two and like two and a half days thereabouts. Jessica's race will take, um, because it's a staged race, meaning she's running 50 miles and then breaking for a certain time and then running 50 miles. It'll probably take about a day, 24, like in a 24 hour period. So we really, uh, at this point are encouraging people, like especially in the community to, um, jump on board and, and just, you know, follow our journey as we go to Saskatchewan because like we've put a lot of work into obviously training, but a lot of folks don't know like to train for a race compared to training for, you know, let's say you're just doing tours. It's completely different. Like to do tours compared to training for a race has been quite, um, quite the challenge for us this year because you, we had a great winter season. Um, we've, you know, we were able to make impressions with people that aren't just from this community, but who have come from Japan and who have come from Dubai and New Zealand. And it was great. But then we were like, oh, no, we have this race that we have to train for. And so all of February, we just literally stopped doing tours. We were like, we, we got to focus on this. But all of the work that we had done prior to that was so integral because the people that sat in our sleds to take our tours were actually helping us train. 
they were building that strength up for these dogs. And so um, we really connected with that. And I, I feel like a lot of people who came on our tours, like they kept asking, like, how can we follow you? What, you know, like, what are we doing? That's, that's helping you guys do the things that you need to do. And so I would really encourage folks like, again, follow us on social media. It's control chaos, you know, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, like we're going to be really active and we'll have the trackers on Randy and Jessica so that people can see like whereabouts they are in relation to the other competitors. And it's going to be, it's going to be quite the spectacle. Yeah, sounds extremely exciting. We're just going to take our last break here in Fort McMurray Matters, Dave. But when we get back, we're going to continue chatting about everything about controlled chaos, these events that are coming up, and something special that's happening here in town as well. We'll return in a moment to Fort McMurray Matters. Brought to you by Colin Hartigan of Coldwell Banker Fort McMurray, Cooper & Company Law Firm, and Fort McMurray Orthodontics on Mix 103.7. Welcome back to Fort McMurray Matters. If you're just tuning in, we're talking with Dave Stearman from Controlled Chaos, and we're, we're just chatting about one of their riders. They, they've got an upcoming race here like next week, and one of the riders has an over two-day ride with the, the dog sleds. Now, i got to ask you, Dave, with a two-dayer like that, does he have to stop at checkpoints because there's like little rest stops there that he can sleep in? Does he have to bring a tent with them? Like, how does that work on these huge races like this? All of the above. It's pretty grueling. Um, you have certain, like, layovers, I guess you would call them. Yes, they're checkpoints. But basically, you have to have their their, their mandatory rest breaks. So um, the way races are structured, you have to have that mandatory essentially a mandatory break in between certain checkpoints. And that's, that's to protect the dog's interests, right? Because a lot of, obviously humans are very competitive and our drive takes over. And so what that will do is that could impact the dogs by essentially saying, Oh, I think they can do this and maybe they can't. Right. And so at each checkpoint, you have a vet that checks over your dogs and make sure that, you know, they, they will get those breaks in between, in between those checkpoints. And so for Randy's case, what will happen is he will arrive to a checkpoint and I think there's only one checkpoint actually that he doesn't have a mandatory, uh, maybe two checkpoints that he doesn't have a mandatory um, rest. So to answer your question again, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be quite interesting because that's a lot of strategies involved in where you position yourself. If you need to camp out between the checkpoint to rest your dogs, to then make a final push to then get that um, speed boost to go ahead of a musher and, tons of strategy is involved in in the race and you never really know until it's unfolding right because everybody else has a strategy and so um you know the only thing you can really account for is that at some point they're going to arrive to that next checkpoint and you got to be ready for the team and and take care of anything that um, has manifested in, in the time since the last checkpoint so yeah and and these dogs it's so active right they're they're so active they're running all the time like that is that's their job that's their goal i mean that's what dogs do in general mm -hmm. but what typically uh, age do these dogs you kind of end up retiring them the dogs will decide on their own accord like obviously we're we're with them 24 7 we we look at them every day we run them every day so we we know when we start working them um when they're telling us it's time to retire the age range can vary. Like we've had dogs that retire super early. Um, and when I say retire, it means that it, it, it can mean they're not wanting to do the distance that we do. So maybe they don't want to do 30 miles or, or 60 or 120, you know, maybe they're just now transitioning into, I just want to work. Like I just want to be able to feel engaged and I want to pull you on a kick sled and I want to do this. And so, um, for us, that's really important to know because we're not going to force an animal 
especially a dog, to do anything it doesn't want to do. And so out of 35 dogs that are in our care, we have, I would say, 27 that are intently working. And then the remainder are those retired sled dogs that are those uh, adoptables, as I had mentioned. Uh, there's also the rescue component. So um, that's why, you know, this the side angle of control chaos is, okay, so what's the, the sustainable plan for those dogs? Like, how do we transition them into um, a pet home? And who's going to be responsible for that? And how do we make that transition? Because obviously these dogs, they operate as a pack and they're not your traditional house pet, right? So when you when you adopt a sled dog, it's it's a very um, abrupt transition for them. And it, it can sometimes feel like you're taking in a puppy at the age of 10. Like this dog's 10 years old, but you're kind of puppy training it. And their personality kind of reflects that. Like they're still, even, you know, my adopted sled dog at home, uh, Wolverine, he's 13. And the behavior that he sort of has is, is very similar to a puppy. Like they're, they're, they're wired differently, man. I'm telling you, <laughs> it's quite interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. Cause that's what I was thinking because I mean, they spend their whole life training as a team. They're always around other dogs and you know, and other dogs just like people kind of get each other riled up and they're excited and there's always something going on. Their job is to run and go outside and play. So to transition them to, like, do you guys have to vet these adopters that come in to be like, is your home sustainable for this dog kind of thing? Yeah, it's 100% correct. Uh, we've certainly over the years, we've seen many types of situations and many types of dogs and, and people. And so uh, at this point, there's, I would say, a rigorous process of identifying who's going to be the right fit for the right dog. Um, like it's definitely that vice versa type thing, like right fit, right person, right dog, right person. Right. Uh, I would say a lot of our dogs, uh, are really, you know, I, there was, there's, there's no dog in our kennel that would be at this point, I would say a problem for a family, like, you know, a dog that doesn't like kids or, or things like that. Like everybody seems to be really well, uh, socialized. And so that vetting process, um, it's really just a matter of like, okay, is this dog going to enjoy itself in a home where there is nobody else other than just that dog? Or is it going to be a process of like, no, we, we really need somebody to be there for this dog 24 seven until it gets to a point where, um, you know, it's more comfortable with its independence. Cause again, like you said, these dogs operate as a pack, right? So everybody in that entire lot knows where they stand in that pack. When you take one out, it can take up to 24 hours, 48 hours before the rest of that pack knows, hey, you're not like you left. You're not, you know, you're not here anymore. And so it's it dog dog behavior is crazy. It's it's insane. <laughs> it would be. It's that it's their upbringing, right? I mean, it's no different than people. You you have a different upbringing than someone else. You know, you just go a little stir crazy. Um, mm -hmm. I did want to say, but just ask uh, before we leave here is um, the upcoming uh, winter play dog sled tour. What is oh, that? Okay, so uh, we're really happy to be back at Winter Play. Um, last year was our first year at Winter Play. And we felt really happy with the results from, you know, just the impressions from the public. And so uh, we're really thankful that the municipality has asked us to come back and, and to do tours again. So that'll be taking place from March 1st until March 6th uh, this year uh, down at Winter Play at the Sny. 
Tickets will be available uh, February 22nd, so that's next week, ironically the same day as the race. So it's going to be a very hectic day for us managing and facilitating all of that, as well as having the race begin. But uh, they will be available at 12 noon. So it's it's not a contest. It's it's just a, a bloodbath free-for-all of getting your tickets to try and get that uh, to get that tour spot. We have 180 tour slots available. Uh, it's about six tours per hour and we'll be there for five hours for six, six days. Yeah. Six days. And I think the other thing to mention is that on the fifth, so on, on March 5th, we will have, um, Nicole McLean, uh, photography down at the SNI and she will be taking pictures of families, either looking at the sleds, uh, like the sled going along the SNI, um, people in tours, and we're asking just, you know, for, for simple donations. And if, if they're interested in, you know, obtaining any of those pictures, like that's, that's kind of the, the, the caveat is that we're trying to um, at least just increase, increase the social, social profit side of what we do. Um, I really think it's important that the public understand that we're not just a tour company. Uh, we are a company that is directly focused on the well-being of the animals, but also on bringing, you know, mushing to Northern communities, right? It's, that's, that has been the transition for controlled chaos over the last three years is making that a, you know, part of us, you know, present to the, to the public is how can we, how can we bring what we do and what we love to do to the public, but also keeping in mind that this is first and foremost, a passion that the dogs and us mutually share. And, um, yeah, that's, I think that's, that's really about it for winter play. Perfect. And yeah, you kind of touched on it a bit there because I just wanted just before we let uh, let you go here. And that was ways that people can support you. Yeah. So ways that people can support us. Um, so obviously we have our social media channels like, you know, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, we're pretty active, I'd say, on all three of those platforms. Uh, we also have merch available like you know a lot of folks come and they and they really support our hoodies which is fantastic like our hoodie sales always you know sell out every year and then we also have a bunch of other knickknacks like pet hoodies and things like that uh the merch is really great because it obviously gets our brand out there and it gets people aware of you know our presence in the community but then there's also um public engagement pieces right so if you are interested in bringing us into let's say your school and doing a educational seminar uh to you know children and and really engaging that way with the dogs we're all for it and um those are services that we provide because again like i said we have tons of knowledge and uh, it is a uniquely northern experience, but also it is very um, it is very unique in and of itself, not just because it's in a northern experience. Like I'm from Ontario, and this is something that I never would have experienced growing up in, you know, just north of Toronto. It's just not common. So, yeah. yeah. It's like a whole new world. Well, uh, <laughs> thank you very much, Dave. I do appreciate you chatting with us today. And I know you've got so much work to do, like you said, uh, getting this going, getting uh, Winter Place happening at the same time, like the uh, the ticket sales are coming on, the same time this big race is going on. You have so much training to do, some sleep to get. Yeah, I will, I will <laughs> leave you to it. I, I appreciate it, Dave. Yeah, thank you so much, Adam. Take care, man. Big thanks again to Dave Stearman from Controlled Chaos for joining us today. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have on Fort McMurray Matters. But if you missed it and you want to hear more, you can head to our website, mix1037fm.com, where a fresh episode of the podcast is uploaded every day. Just click on the news section. I'm Adam Opus. I will talk to you again tomorrow. 
That's the end of another edition of Fort McMurray Matters. Want a copy of this episode or any past episode? Download the podcast at mix1037fm.com. Brought to you by Colin Hardigan of Coldwell Banker Fort McMurray, Cooper & Company Law Firm, and Fort McMurray Orthodontics on Mix 103.7.